0: You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Oh, our faith,
1: Lord, when our eyes can't see
0: Hi, guys, it's Pastor Brandon. And I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church in Europe, just moments away from entering into one of our sermon exhortations. And we are so thankful that you've come today to join with us for that experience. And here is our one ask of you for today's sermon. Would you work hard to stay focused all the way through the sermon? Like, I know that's really hard to do at sometimes, right? Like, when you start going on 45 and one hour sermons, there can be just points where you get a little distracted. You start thinking about things on your phone, what you're gonna do after church. But here's the thing the whole Word of God being preached through these sermons is so profitable for your life. Just believe that's true. And so, if you can set that expectation for yourself, morning that from the moment that this sermon comes on and I say welcome to the book of Ephesians or whatever the sermon's going to be about all the way until we get to the end where we say it's in your beautiful majestic name that we pray amen. Man, everything in between those lines, lean in, focus, because God has something special for you. Let's be great imitators of Christ in how we listen to this sermon today. Grace and peace. Let's salivate as we activate in the book of Ephesians. Let's go. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open them to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and our whole sermon today is going to be circling and marching around verse 18 in just a little bit. As we continue forward in our Ephesians series titled, Our Story into God's Story, I want to keep reminding each and every one of you that in this series, if you open your heart and you keep your mind soft, this has the opportunity to give you a living encounter with the God of the universe as you learn radically his thoughts and his intentions towards you and others like you've never had before. Now, last week in part 27 of our series titled Focusing on Jesus Everywhere and All the Time, we learned that being Spirit-filled practically is really about being more joyful and more satisfied with God and yourself and the plans and the mission and the purpose that he set before you. We learn that to be spirit-filled is to navigate one's life from the overflow of the amazing riches and wealth given to you by God, chapters 1-3, through 3, and no longer from your pain and your deficits. We learn that the spirit-filled individual, hey, Lenin, is radically focused on Jesus in every circumstance, every Everywhere and all the time we learned that the spirit filled life is not a it's not a measurement of like something that you're earning and achieving and working to have more of God and more of the Holy Spirit, but rather it's a condition positionally of what God offers you. You see, when you tapped out and you said, God, I can't do it. And then you looked up and said, God, but I believe you can. And then you linked in and surrendered your life. Boom. Right in that moment, you were filled completely and utterly with the holy spirit we learned that being um, positionally filled with the spirit is about those realities right not something that you do from a legalistic worked based posture and finally we learned that even though we are a hundred percent guaranteed this positional spirit-filled position we often don't feel like we're spirit-filled because we're not focused on god in our lives and that brings us to today part 28 of this series titled the spirit-filled life and our part in it. And we're about to embark on some very important passage, uh, excuse me, a very important passage of scripture right now as we head into our a break in Ephesians which we'll be having for the next couple months. And so it's my hope and it's my prayer on this final sermon before we head into this Ephesians break that this sets you up and propels you forward as an imitator of Christ as you walk out the Spirit-filled life. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, I just want to start right here. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Nicodemus, you're going to have the opportunity to die to yourself, both in your mind, which means Nicodemus the way you think and your will and your demands and your own agenda, and also in your body, the things that you desire. And I'm going to give you an opportunity in your new life to be led by the power of the Holy Spirit which will supersede and reign and rule over your mind and your body. And folks, we too are radically called to participate in that same invitation that Jesus gave Nicodemus, both in a way that's pleasing, pleasing to God and joyful and satisfying for us. And really, that intricate combination and balance is really going to be the key, folks, of what we learned today about how to live the spirit filled life. So, with that being said, Paul's going to give you and me some very basic marching orders of what it means to be a man or a woman, or to be a Christian, a-, a husband, a wife, a master, and a bond, a bondservant, and all these different roles. And he's going to say, How do we do that from a spirit filled? posture that makes our heavenly Father glad. And God's going to tell us, hey, don't do it the old way anymore. Follow Jesus and imitate me. Because if you keep doing it and you keep tracking the way you have done it in your old life, things are not going to go well for you because I don't want you anymore. This is what God's saying. I don't want you anymore to be a two-dimensional creature, just a mind creature that's always stuck on what you think and a body creature enslaved to every impulse of your bodily desires. Instead, our God on high is calling us to be three-dimensional people, mind people learning to have thoughts that are more like God's thoughts, body people using this very temple for the plans and the purposes of God, all submitted to our to the Holy Spirit in dwelling in us with the power to save. So we're going to need to keep learning then to be able to do this spirit-filled life about the Holy Spirit, so that we could do all things in His power that we simply cannot do in. And of ourselves so before we go any further i'm going to pray and ask our heavenly father to help us to focus our affections and our attention on the holy spirit so we can see and start to believe that what he declares in the word of god is the light and the path for our feet to follow in. So this is the aim. This is the call. No more walking in darkness anymore. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Let's be children of light. Let's pray, and let's ask our Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, to do that. Abba Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for your spirit, which illuminates your word and plants it deep within our hearts, and I pray in Jesus' name that as we set time aside today to study your word, it would indeed become that which we lack, namely the power source that we need to draw from, and I pray against intellectual ascent right now in the name of Jesus. Meaning for those who seek to learn more so they can do more in and of themselves based upon their own mental strength. But instead, Lord, for the intellectual, or maybe the seeker, or the wanderer, or the wanderer, and of course for the dying daily disciple, may we all simply be impressed with you and in awe of you and more. Reliant on you and more submitted to you, and then may you just blow our minds and overwhelm us with who you are as the great show, the King of Kings. And so, Lord, we worship you as such because you're the only one that can handle that type of worship and praise and adoration without being corrupted. You've proven that over and over again for that to be so. Therefore, fill me with your spirit as a teaching vessel this morning so that I might be able to properly articulate your great intentions towards your people. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so have you ever heard a person say, "Man, that man or that woman, man, that person's so spirit-filled or that church is filled with spirit-filled people." Okay, so here's here's my question. What does the spirit-filled life look like actually? And and what's our part in it? Like how would you go about describing the spirit-filled individual? And how would you describe if I asked you to write down what is a spirit-filled church how does a person or a church or an organization operate from a spirit filled position okay so in order for us to really understand what those attributes and those characteristic characteristics really look like let's start by looking first at what jesus had to say about this very topic because jesus told the church in acts chapter 1 hey folks i'm going to give you the holy spirit wow That's legit. And it's going to be to fill you up. And then you're going to receive power. That's what Jesus said. What comes next? Receive power to do what? You're going to receive power to be my witnesses in all of The world. Like, did you know that the word witnesses in Greek lexicon is marthero, which is which means martyr in English? And a martyr is essentially someone who lays their life down as a sacrifice for another person or a cause. And so if we put this together, what Jesus was really saying is, hey, folks, I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit to fill you up, and you're gonna receive my power so that you can go about being my witnesses as you lay your life down for people all around the world. Like, are you tracking with me? It it didn't say that we're going to receive power so we can become our own gods. Jesus didn't say you're going to receive power so you can flex your own strength and opinions on people. Jesus didn't say you're going to receive power power so you can serve all of your own needs and agendas and desires and faulty expectations instead god on high says i'm going to give you power so that you can sacrifice yourself for something greater something more eternal and something beyond folks something beyond yourself and so the story goes on in the book of acts That the disciples would receive power from the Holy Spirit and they would go on record telling everybody who Jesus um, is, what Jesus had done, and what Jesus was going to continue to do for the end of ages. And before you're like, oh wow, how cool, how exciting was that moment in the book of Acts, I want you to know that eventually all these disciples, they died for this cause. They died for that mission. Folks, they were killed in the end. Like, did you hear me? They chose to sacrifice all the way to the point, to the point of death. And here's the crazy thing. They did this, this radical sacrifice, this receiving power to lay their life down to the point of death. Folks, they did it with great, with great joy and with great purpose. So, because the disciples received power from the Holy Spirit, they were able to receive and operate under great purpose for their lives. And yes, though they walked out that purpose to the point of death, and that takes great courage and should be commended, How many know it equally takes great power to walk that out in life? Because folks, when you decide to give your life up literally, that's a decision you make for one time only, and it lasts but a moment, and then your life is over but it takes the Holy Spirit and courage and power to actually live for Christ, not just die for Christ. Because when you live for Christ, folks, that's a decision you have to make every single day again when you wake up. Okay, so so these people obviously were committed to being filled with the people, which means they were committed to laying their lives down, their lives, their thoughts, their agendas, their ways, their desires, and they did it all so they could follow Jesus and his mission. So the Spirit-filled life starts with that framework, that vantage point. It was all about doing things for other people's good and the glory of God. I'm going to say it again. The spirit-filled life that was activated in the book of Acts was a transition from people out of their story filled with their own thoughts and agendas and ideas to God's story where their life began to circle around the good of others for the glory of God. And man, that's the sweet spot that God is calling you and me to live in as spirit-filled people. Okay, so what does the spirit-filled life look like? And what is our part in it. Let's let's, let's look at that. It's a life of someone who seeks to utilize the great power given to them by God for the great purpose of laying down their life as a sacrifice to God's mission. It's a life of commitment towards choosing God's thoughts and ways and agendas and desires above your own. Wow. It's a life where you are witness to the world that Jesus is the hope both in life and in death. Okay, so now our world today teaches us that life is all about me, myself, and I. <clears throat> it's about my success, it's about my happiness, and it's about my excellence. But God says, no, no, no. If you really wanna be great and you really wanna be excellent and you really wanna be successful from my vantage point, here's how you do it. You have got to become a glad servant to all people for the glory of my name, is what God's saying, for the glory of God. Well, now that's, that's a tough order, isn't it? Without the Holy Spirit, that's going to be tough, folks. In fact, it's going to be impossible. So here's my starting question that we all got to ask ourselves this morning. It's on your screen. Am I becoming a daily servant to others and bringing glory to God within your life and using that as your primary measuring stick of being successful and excellent at life? Would people describe your life as a person who joyfully serves God and all people? Now, hopefully we all get to the point in our walk with Jesus where we can confidently say, yes, Jesus, that's me. I'm filled with the Spirit so I can serve people to the glory of your name that we would all say i want to be so filled with the spirit not just so i can get what i want i want i want i want not just so i can go pursue my dreams my dreams my dreams but so that i would give up my life and transform my heart by the power of the holy spirit so that my dreams accord with your dreams so that my wants accord with your wants and my desires line up and are synchronized to lord with your desires that's folks that's the target so if that's not what you're doing right now and that's not your heart posture if that's not what your life currently looks like on any given hour or any given day you got to stop right now and you got to ask the lord say god i need to focus more on jesus from my positionally filled um, position as a child of God because folks you already possess everything you need are you tracking you're a hundred percent positionally filled by the spirit we talked about that the Bible believing Christ exalting Christian is positionally and uninterruptibly filled with the spirit maxed out 100% you are not a quarter tank full. Are you with me? You are not three-fourths filled with the Spirit of God. You are maxed out in Christ. But we have this thing called the free will of our mind, folks. And with that free will, we can choose to invest into ourselves or we can choose to activate that free will to invest into others. And when we choose to activate our free will to invest primarily and solely into ourselves and not into other people, we make the devastating choice to not let God use us to our maximum God-ordained created purpose. So in this portion of scripture, Paul is saying to the people of Ephesus, and that means, folks, he's definitely talking to you and me, and he's saying, hey, it actually takes the power of God to do God's will. In other words, it takes the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to do God's will. Your own efforts, folks, it won't cut it. But guess what else is true? It also takes the Spirit of God to activate and to supersede your own will that is naturally conditioned to serve itself and to move towards other people. Folks, you need to be spirit-filled to do either one. To literally say no, no, no to Brandon is going to take a spirit-filled awareness. And that power, activated, looks like trusting and obeying what God says will ultimately make me and you happy while simultaneously giving him the glory. And then it's proven by the evidence of you getting in the game and doing what God says to do. And you know what else is legit? Paul promises us with great assurance that he who began a good work in you is going to see it to its completion in the day of the Lord. That, that is an awesome promise. And I tell you what, I'm only 34 years old, but all I know is that I want to spend the rest of my days living for Christ towards that end. And, and the Bible leans in with great hope and great encouragement, and it, it, it allows us to be so stoked in our hearts with this promise of victory in the end did you know that folks that when you sign up with jesus and you play on his team you can't lose it's like going to an arcade with an unlimited amount of quarters no matter how many times you have small losses in your life here on earth you keep getting another quarter to keep playing the game and at the end you're guaranteed to win but here's the unpopular truth but i want to hold life in the bible and scripture intention so here's the unpopular truth That you may not have heard in church before, but we need to talk about that. Folks, you may end up on this side of heaven with more bad days than you have good days. I'm going to say that to you again. I want to love you today. Hey, you may end up on this side of heaven living here on earth. Folks, you may have more bad days than you have good days in your life. But the Bible promises you, and the Bible promises me as children of God, adopted by the God of the universe on high, that in the end, no matter what, you and I, we're gonna make it and we're gonna be deemed victors in the end. Like, look at this encouraging moment from Moses from the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. Let's look at that now. Chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous, Brandon. Put your name there. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. This promise that was given in the book of Deuteronomy as Moses is writing the story is the same promise that stands over our lives today. This promise is still ruling and reigning over the people of God. That he will not leave us ever. He will not forsake us at all, and he will be with us to the end of the age, Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 18 through 21. Now watch Paul lean upon Moses' teaching as he now gives us his pastoral take on the same concept in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Let's look at that now, verses five and six. Okay, keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, why? Why is Paul saying this? He says, hey, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man can do to me. So so what Paul was saying in this text as he's leaning upon the original words of Moses in the Old Testament, he's saying, "Hey, hey guys, d- d- be free from the love of money or let me let me help you out in our context. Be free from money. Be free from your pursuits. Be free from your anxieties. Be free from whatever is pulling you and getting you tripped up and trapped up because we got a promise as the people of God and that and and that's this. God is with you and he's never going to forsake you so you don't have to fight on your own behalf. Remember, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, can't you see all these things that God is calling us to do, all these Christian activities? The power is coming from Him, folks. It's not coming from us. Do you see that in Hebrews and Deuteronomy? Hey, the power, the gravity, the weight, the energy, hey, it's all on God. It's not on us. And that's that's really good news. Why? Because our God on high is strong enough And he's mighty to save us daily in our lives. But folks, we got to turn our posture so that we can operate in this positionally given position as a failed child of God. Like, this is what we've been learning, R.C.C., about our God the whole time. Remember, we were so dead to rights, right? We were stuck in our shame and our muck and our mire. We were alienated from the life of God. Ephesians chapter four, we learned that. But Christ, he saved me and he saved you. Remember that? It keeps going in chapter four of Ephesians. And because of that, we have this radical security as chosen and adopted and forgiven and equipped and forever wealthy. Are you kidding me? We've been given gifts and inheritance inheritance chapter one through three of ephesians and as a ro- as a result god sent his son down here on the earth remember that he walked for this earth for three years in his ministry portion in his 30s and then he died on a cross and he went down to hell but hell couldn't keep him there so he broke those chains came out and he was lavishing good gifts on all of us remember that ephesians chapter four and it's because of that that we get to out from our way we get to look up to god and we get to link in and say i'm positionally filled with an amazing inheritance and i have received power to follow god all the way to the end. And so as we consider our sexual addictions or our sexual impurities or our filthy talk, our crude joking or our filthiness whatever it might be, Paul say, hey, you are spirit filled and now you have been given the power and the equipment and the position and the gifts to start walking away from that more and more every single day of your life. So if you're struggling with any addiction and any sin, you will be able paul saying because you are spirit filled to take control back away from the flesh and give it back to the holy spirit and your life can start to get legit and while okay and when paul exhorts this whole concept it's all centering around a ultimate desire for the people of god to walk in harmony It's God's call for you and for me to know your role. Our role, we got to know what our role is. We got to know what other people's roles are. And then we got to learn how to do this life together. But if we're stuck in our muck and the mire all the time, in our own sin, our own shames, folks, we can't even walk in harmony with anyone else because we're chaotic in and of our own selves. But in Christ, because we've received power we can walk away from our own demise and start to walk in harmony with others the whole goal for the church of god is that we would work towards the same goal accepting different roles and folks it's about doing it radically Well, and the only way God's people, God's church, is going to be able to do that well, the only way that you're going to have leaders with authority inside of churches or organizations that are not going to exercise their authority wrongly with a domineering presence, the only way for um, the people of God, the members of churches, to be glad servants humbly laying down and being submitted to elders and pastors and leaders and not feeling like they have to, the only way that this complex dance that God's calling us to do can work is by being spirit-filled, focusing on Jesus everywhere and all the time. Okay, so what should we remember in light of all this? Here it is on your screen. We should remember that even if we end up with more bad days than good days, God promises that his that, excuse me that he's committed to us until the end of ages and beyond. That by being spirit-filled, we tap into God's power above our own. It's about taking our free will and laying it down for God's will by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, our ability to walk in unity, purity, and harmony consistently comes from him. Okay, so as we march forward today, we're going to be talking about different roles and different responsibilities and different rules that are in the church. And when we return from our Ephesian break, uh, our Ephesian series break in a couple months, we're going to get into the most famous, the most feared, and the most Falsely interpreted scr- um, text or passage of scripture in all the Bible. And that's on husbands and wives and the relationship defined by God as the institution of marriage. Now, we're going to cover just a little bit of that today, but or to set us up, but that's going to be our deep dive when we get back from the Ephesians break. And so I want to open up this conversation right now, continuing about the spirit-filled life and our part in it, and thinking about roles and rules and responsibilities that are given to different people within the church, within family systems, and everything else. I want to open it up by saying that every relationship that works today, every relationship works by a harmony of roles— Every time, every single time, whether it's family structures, church structures, organizational structures, cultural, societal structures, every type of relationship requires harmony of different roles with people working towards one singular aim and this most definitely goes for our relationship right between us and god we have got to know what our role is and what god's role is and work towards one mission set by god and we've got to do that in harmony so that means we're going to have to have radical trust and belief and security in our relationship personally with our heavenly Savior. But here's the thing we can operate practically from our spirit filled position, right? So we're we're positionally spirit filled by God, but we can't operate practically being uh, filling that power where it carries out in our actions if we don't have radical understanding about who God is and what our orientation is and our relationship to Him. So with that being said, I'm gonna ask you right now four relationally life-altering questions about your relationship with God. And what I'm asking you as your pastor today is that you would genuinely participate and that you would give a genuine answer to these four questions, okay? And so the way that you're going to faithfully lean into that is when I ask you the question, I want you to give an answer audibly out loud, right from your heart, say the truth. And then I want you to write the truth down on your roadmap, and we'll go from there, okay? So here we go. Here's the first life-altering question about you and God. Number one, is there a God? What is the answer to that question in your heart? Not your mommy, not what your daddy says. Do you believe? Is there a God? Come on, answer that question out loud and write it down. Okay, folks, I want you to know the answer is yes. Yes, there's one true God, and his name is Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi. He has many names, but there is one God, and he is real. Remember, he did the work for you and me. God is real. All right, here's his question number two answer it genuinely from your heart. Is god good is god good no no not is he supposed to be good not you want to believe he's good do you believe that god is good like come on folks are you sure in your heart that you believe that he's good Because I want you to know he's so good all the time. Now, of course, there's times in our lives based upon our actions and our worries and our anxieties that we don't always show up and believe that God is good. Like when we don't get that job promotion that we feel we deserve, we get angry. And sometimes we don't feel that God is good. But how many know that God is still good even when we receive closed doors. In fact, the first lie ever told by Satan who deceived Eve was the question, is God really good? Is he really who he says he is? And this question, folks, has been permeating our lands for thousands of years. Many people believe there is a God, but not many people believe that God is radically and fully good. And you know what? The Spirit-filled person is able to answer that question resoundedly with confidence, saying, oh yeah, my God is good. Okay, number three. Does God know what he's talking about in all things? Do you believe that God knows what he's talking about in all things? Answer that out loud. Okay, again, man, the hope is that your answer is yes. But you know what's so weird? Often we try to counsel the Lord. Isn't that weird and wacky and wonky? We try to counsel and give God advice. We say things like, you know what, Lord, it's 2020, and I really think there should be more allowed in this generation. I think that what you're asking for is a little bit too much. Do you really mean that? What does it mean in the Greek? What does it mean in the Hebrew? You can't possibly mean you want that for your people, God. Like We try to counsel the Lord brothers and sisters god knows more than you and me like how arrogant are we sometimes right okay here's the final question number four does the word of god get to be the boss in my life what is your answer to that in your heart tell the truth does god presently in your life get to be the king and the lord over your decisions pay attention The answer to this question must be yes. The Bible, folks, is the most criticized and scrutinized book ever. But you know what else is true? It is also the most powerful and read book on the planet. It has changed billions of people's lives, folks. Did you hear what I just said? It's changed billions of people's lives forever. What other book can claim such a victory? And that's because this book is a living book filled with the thoughts of a living and active and present God. Okay, so with all all that being said with us now acknowledging that there is one true god hopefully and that he is radically and inherently good at everything he does down to his intentions and that he always always knows what he's talking about and that the bible definitely gets to be the boss over your life, let's read our focus verse today from that vantage point. Are you with me? I want to walk through today's sermon. I want to look at our focus verses, acknowledging that, hey, God God is real. God is good. God knows what he's talking about. And God gets to declare what I do about everything that I hear today. I'm going to say it again, or this whole sermon means nothing. I want us to walk through today's sermon believing that God is real, God is good, God is wise, and we're going to follow what he says. Are you with me? We're going to march with that posture together in harmony and unity. So we're going to look at half of these verses in great detail today, and then the other half we're going to do when we get back from our Ephesians break in a couple months. Okay, so here we, here we go. Here's some brief exhortations so we can kind of have a vantage point of what's going on in the text again. Let's pick it up in verse 18 now. It's on your screen. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Like, well, we know everything that was happening before this, this verse, right? Like, hey, don't, don't do the crude talking, the filthy talk. He's laying out all these sexual impurities, all these, the covetousness, everything, saying, hey, don't do all of these things, but be. Filled by the Spirit. Hey, remember, you don't have to earn that. It's been done for you. This is guaranteed for the children of God. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything, wow, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we began to learn right about how do we operate posi- um, practically from this positional uh, position we've been given as the Spirit-filled children of God. And so it starts off with, hey, singing psalms and singing melodies, giving thanks, all these things. Here we go, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wow, what does that mean? We're going to talk about that today. Verse 22: Wives, submit to your own husbands. You see the flow of the text? This is all one passage. Wives, because I just talked to you about submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ, because I just told you to give thanks and to sing melodies and to be filled with the Spirit, here's what I want you to do. I want you to submit to your own husband, ask to the Lord. And hey, you husband, verse 23, hey, because you're filled by the Spirit, because I just said to give thanks, because I just talked about submitting to one another, here's what I need you to do. This is what God's saying. Hey, be the head of your wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Oh, wow. Wow, that. That's, that's big. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. He's laying this out. What does this mean? Paul says this is going to be profound, like a mystery. Wow. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 26 that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word okay so we have a lot going on here in the text it's a great discipline for me not to start breaking those verses down right now so you got you got the husband being called to give himself up for her whoa give up my life Whoa, whoa, you got the wife until submit in everything to your to your husband and everything and everything. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And so we got big things being asked by God. And I'm telling you right now, none of this is going to be possible without being a spirit filled person. And so chapter five continues on with these thoughts about what it means to be spirit filled in a spirit filled life. And we start to talk about husbands more and wives more and children and parents and masters and bond servants and all these different roles and rules and responsibilities and it's going to be legit. And Paul is describing very practically what the spirit life should look like and what our part is in it regarding our everyday lives, relationships, and roles. Okay, now pay attention, but Jesus wants us to know that apart from him, none of this is going to work, That we're going to learn about. Are you with me? None of what we're going to read today, and when we come back into the Ephesians series, most definitely nothing we're going to learn about husbands and wives and marriages and masters and servants and parents and children. None of it works apart from God. Like, like, check this out. It's categorically, it's categorically impossible. Look at this in the book of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. This is Jesus talking here, folks. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Folks, and if you've ever cut a branch off of a tree, you know that almost immediately it starts to wither and die on the spot the leaves start falling off and when you're not committed and submitted to jesus as the vine hey folks in your spiritual life you're going to start immediately withering and dying off your spiritual leaves start to fall rapidly off of your life but guess what you and me have this radical opportunity because of jesus to step into our positional spirit-filled inheritance when we choose to focus on him in our lives that's our part in the spirit-filled life to to live as husbands and wives and employees and employers and children and parents whatever we are and to say where is jesus calling me to operate today in this role and as we start focusing more and more on jesus everywhere and all the time we talked about that last week the first thing that we get to experience from the holy spirit Is it receiving power so we can get what we want, so we can live for our agendas and to activate all of our own desires or to even do miracles or to walk around healing people? It's something else entirely, folks. In fact, Jesus proclaims that the first thing the Holy Spirit does when he activates in our hearts is of a whole different variety. You ready? Let's lean and see that now in John chapter 16. Here's verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Okay, Jesus said he has truth for us. Here it is. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. He's talking to his disciples. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is talking about the Holy Spirit now. Verse 8. And when he comes, When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Oh, this is legit. This is the first time Jesus leans in about the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And this is what he's talking about. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Do you see anything in the text about the Holy Spirit coming to be your fairy and your genie and a lamp, folks? He will come to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 9. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me, so they keep sinning and staying in darkness is what Jesus was saying. Verse 10. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Why was that so important? He says, hey, I'm not going to be walking around imitating it in the flesh anymore, so you're going to need the Holy Spirit to be your compass. And then verse 11. Concerning Judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Oh, that's deep. Verse 12 I I love this. I still have many things to say to you, disciples, Peter, John, and the rest of the crew. But hey, Peter, hey, John, hey, crew, you cannot bear them all now. Verse 13 When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Oh, wow, that's legit. So, the most important ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict you and to convict me of our sin, our radical need for righteousness and judgment to come, not to be your genie in a lamp. So, raise your hand if you're someone who struggles with sin and righteousness. Everybody should be raising their hands. Well, the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, no worries no worries, Brandon. I got you. That's what I'm going to be here for. I'm going to let you know every single time you're stepping out of line with Christ. I'm going to convict you of your sin in such a way that leads you back into righteousness with glad conviction, not judgment and condemnation. I'm going to be your guide. That's what the Holy Spirit's saying. I'm going to be your perfect compass is what the holy spirit is promising and man i'm praying and i'm trying to preach my heart out in jesus name that our hearts here at rcc would not be callous to this reality and would not have stiff necks to this truth i'm gonna say it again is god real it is god truthful is god wise and does he get to be the Lord of your decisions? And if your answer is yes, then God's saying the Holy Spirit's not here to serve every little want and desire you have in your heart. He's here to do primarily these three things. Okay, so now let's march forward with confidence into verse 19 and 20 of chapter 5. Here it is. Verse 19, addressing one another, right? So be spirit-filled. How? How? How do we do this, God? He addresses it. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything. Wow. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Okay, so so Paul is saying the spirit-filled person is going to be marked by joy, and it's gonna be marked by gratitude. They're gonna be happy people, okay? Not worldly happy, but Christ centered, I got a belly fill of joy despite the trials in my life type of, type of happiness. But they're also gonna be grateful people. That's what the Word of God's saying. Grateful and appreciative people Radically aware of all the good things that God has given them starting with their positionally filled position (laughs) as a imitator of Christ an adopted child of God that's that's important because the happiest people on the planet I keep talking about this the happiest people on the planet are those who are radically aware of all they have and they are appreciative. Like, don't be deceived. There are people who have absolutely nothing, but they're totally happy. And you better believe there are people who have every single thing you can possibly imagine, and they're categorically depressed. I remember counseling a a man not too long ago in the state of Oregon and he was massively wealthy. This this man had everything you would ever desire. A, an amazing job, an amazing family, an amazing wife. He could retire five times over. His kids never will have any wants and their kids will never have any wants. And I remember him saying, "I'm just not happy." And he had all these things that we were working through in our counseling and coaching appointments. And I remember driving home and saying to myself, "God, your word is so true. You're so stable. You're so accurate when you say woe to those who think they're going to find their contentment in life and money and riches and materialism. Folks, you don't have to wait to get everything you want in your life in order to be happy. I'm going to say that again. Hey, lean in. You don't have to keep Waiting and trying to want every single thing that's in your little heart Before you choose to be happy because the reality is you can't control everything in your life You can't control everything you're going to get and if you're waiting and you're wanting and you're wishing for that type of control It's not only insanity It's ungodly Folks, our joy and our happiness is not to be conditional upon our circumstances and the things that we experience in life. It's based upon who Christ is to us and what that means for us in our lives. That's the focus. Like, did you know that you have total control over your happiness? Total control. You have total control over your happiness because God says, submit to me. Let me fill you with my Holy Spirit. And if you embody this attitude of gratitude and you believe and you're filled with songs and melodies in your heart and you focus radically on me and what I've done and what I'm calling you to do, I have joy set before you. Isn't that incredible? Like, you're not some thermometer that has no control, people of God. You're not some thermometer that's only responding back and forth and back and forth every time something happens in your life that's at a temperature that you don't like. That's not who we are in Christ. Instead, in Christ, because of the Holy Spirit, we leave our old life of being a thermometer only able to be reg- to say what is going on. The world's unhappy, I'm unhappy. The world's not at peace, I'm at peace. That's what a thermometer does. It only reads the condition of what's going on. But in Christ, because we are positionally filled, Spirit of God, children of God, imitators of God, we move into our new life of being a thermostat. Are you tracking with me so when things get hot in your life and tricky and trials and tribulations come, the spirit-filled person is radically equipped to cool things down. Are you with me? Like, and we don't go about cooling things down by changing all the environmental temperature around us, but we get to going about the temperature in our own hearts, and when things are too, too cool in the world around us and, we're, and there's laziness and laggardliness and we're not caring about the things of God, then we get to be the thermostat that turns things up with our righteous indignation and we have a holy type of God-centered anger and we get active and we fight for justice that's why Paul said it in his book to the um into the church of Philippi this in chapter 4 verse 11 through 13 let's look at that Paul says not that i'm speaking of being in need for i have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Like, did you catch that in the text? Paul said, I had to learn, folks, how to be content. Okay, okay, lean in. We often think of Paul as some type of mythological creature who always had it all figured out He just started happy and content and had it all figured out. He had perfected power in Christ. Err No, that's not true Paul had to learn to be content. Paul had to learn how to face hunger. Paul had to learn how to battle through his own fleshly desires. Paul had to learn how to do all things in Christ. And here's the key. Who had already strengthened him positionally with the Holy Spirit. But Paul had to learn how to walk out that positionally Spirit-filled position practically. That's why he's saying in the text, hey, I didn't always. Hey, hey, I was in Christ, and I was positionally filled, but I had to learn how to walk that out. And so when Paul is writing this letter to the church at, of Ephesus, and when we read this letter, which is still effectually being written to us, he's in light chain house arrest. He's at the end of his mission, um, his ministry, and he's sharing all of the things, folks, that he's learned. Don't ever forget that. Hold this text in tension. This is an older man who has learned how to practically walk out his positionally given filled with Built up with the Holy Spirit position, and now he's telling us, he's telling us all about it. Therefore, just because you and I are positionally filled with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that we have learned how to walk that out practically in our lives. That's what the Bible's for. That's what the church is for. That's what your pastor's for. And that's the point of life-on-life discipleship. And that takes time and community and dedication and trust in God. But we can find great hope that that's possible because Paul in this letter is so filled and so stoked and so excited, so completely with joy as a spirit-filled man, even though he virtually was going to spend the rest of his life in prison for a crime that he did not commit. That's the power of the Holy Spirit as we keep focusing on Jesus and learning how to practically activate him in our lives. Like, you know, one of the most powerful um, stories of the spirit-filled life that I can think of is really embodied in a lady named Joni Erickson Tada who had her life absolutely crushed and ravaged by a devastating Diving accident you see Joni was a state-level swimmer and she accidentally dived headfirst into a Shallow area of water that she did not anticipate on a trip and it left her immediately Paralyzed from the neck down and folks she would go on to become super depressed and frequently suicidal for many years to come. And, and I don't want you to miss what I just said. I don't want you to hear where she's at now, what her current story is, without understanding what I just said. Those dark nights of the soul are so important, lest we not be able to relate. So I'm going to say it again. This young woman was a state-level competitive swimmer, and she lost everything. She would never have a normal marriage or family. She would never be able to have kids biologically. She would never be able to eat a meal independently ever again on earth. Everything was gone in an instant, but eventually, not overnight, but eventually she activated her free will as a rich inheritance-having, positionally spirit-filled woman of God, despite all of the trials and the tragedy of her life being completely Crushed. So instead of just saying and living out her life with the anthem of, Woe is me, there's nothing left for me. And understandably, we could all relate to why she may have ended that way. But instead of that, do you know what Joni did? Joni Erickson Tata has spent the last 40 years. Are you tracking the last 40 years of her life putting on camps, speaking at conferences, writing books, and dedicating her whole life to teaching this very principle of what happens when you allow the Spirit of God to rule and to reign over your life from your positionally given inheritance as a Spirit filled child of God? And oh, by the way, she also has cancer now, folks. Are you kidding me? Come on, God, where are you at? So this young, healthy, beautiful woman is paralyzed from the neck down, spends 40 to 50 years in a wheelchair, and now she gets cancer? Are you kidding me? But guess what? She's also known not only for being paralyzed from the neck down, not only for her cancer that she walks through, but she's known for being one of the happiest people on the planet. And most importantly, she has impacted millions of people and brought thousands of people into a right relationship with the living God of the universe. And that's all because she tapped in to her spirit-filled position and she tapped out of living for herself. Like how many of us struggle with so much less adversity than Joni and we struggle immensely. But if we turn over our will to God, things start getting really, really awesome. But it takes Jesus being the target. In fact, I thought this would be a beautiful time to Joni to talk about this whole spirit-filled, being happy and joyful thing herself. So we're gonna do that now. Hey, Joni, take it away for
1: us. Hi, I'm Joni Erkson Tata, And I'm so grateful to have this chance to be part of the Living Hope Online Conference for those who are chronically ill. You know, I've lived as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair for nearly 52 years. I know something about chronic illness, especially dealing daily with severe pain. And also as I speak, I'm in my second battle against stage three cancer. And with this newest tumor uh, just removed, I'm now healing up and awaiting radiation and I tell you, getting up in the morning in this wheelchair for me is not easy. I mean, I lie there in bed and my eyes are closed, and my head's on the pillow and I'm waiting for my girlfriend to come in and I know she's going to give me a bed bath and she's going to do my toileting routines and she's going to exercise my legs and my arms and strap on my corset and my support hose and strap on my binder and get me dressed and sit me in my wheelchair and push me to the bathroom and brush my teeth. and brush my hair and blow my nose and it's like I'm absolutely overwhelmed. You know what I mean? Before the sun has come up, before I've hardly opened my eyes, I'm overwhelmed thinking, "Jesus, I can't do this." A lot of people think I'm a strong person, but I'm not. I mean, every day my weakness is so glaring to me, so obvious, and my weakness is ever before me and so When I do get up in the morning, I say to God, I can't do quadriplegia. I have no resources for this day. I have no strength for it, no energy for it. But Lord Jesus, my lungs are also another issue. Lord Jesus, you have strength. You have resources. You have energy. So please help me in my weakness and be strong. Help me to face this day with courage. And I tell you what, (coughs) this is so real, all this uh, clearing my throat and my chest. (coughs) Before I even sit up in my wheelchair in the morning, I've got strength sent straight from heaven and I've got joy hard fought for and hard won because I've gone to the God of all strength and I've submitted to him my brokenness, my need, my limitations, my weakness, my emotional inabilities. I can't do this, God, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what, for the Christian, it's a good fight. It is a good fight because you have to fight hard to stay satisfied in God. You know, sometimes people say of me and maybe they say it of you, God's piling on too much. It appears as though God is doing more harm to you than good. I mean, I, I've had people say that to me just in the last week uh, when they learned about my, uh, my second cancer battle and they think, oh my goodness, isn't God harming you? It doesn't look like he's helping you. Well, you know, a, a comment like that really makes you think because there are countless references in scripture telling us that God will do us no harm He'll only do us good. There's Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 41. Look it up later. It says that, well, God says, I will do them good with all my heart and all my soul. And then in Psalm 84 verse 11, it says, no good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. And then there's Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. You probably know that one well where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to help you and not harm or hurt you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hopeful future. I mean, these these are just a few verses that underscore the good that God wants to do to us. And I tell you what, when when, when I first started dealing with chronic pain, uh, maybe 30 years into my quadriplegia, those verses used to confound me. Because to me, it seemed that Chronic pain and quadriplegia and cancer, and now this new cancer, it's as, it's as though God, it sure seems like you're harming me. These painful things are the dark, difficult, driving rain of God's sovereignty, but flip the coin and the sunshine of God's sovereignty is the depth of faith, the scarred and seized in wisdom, the profound peace, the settledness of your soul, the opportunities to showcase your loyalty to the God of the Bible, and the iron-fisted trust that is gonna come from walking through that valley of the shadow of death. This is the good that God is interested in. Hard and awful things that ultimately end up birthing true good, peace, joy, satisfaction, good in your soul. And like you, I want to remain loyal. I want to remain trustworthy to the Lord Jesus. I want suffering to stretch my soul's capacity for his grace. Because every day when I choose to obey God and trust him with my chronic pain and with my disability and now with this cancer, every day, uh, every decision I make to trust him increases my eternal capacity for joy and worship and service in heaven. And friend, I don't want to diminish that and I don't think you want to either. Let's not jeopardize it. Let's not lessen it. Let's not risk it by complaining and becoming embittered and sullen. No, let's let's trust God in it and increase our eternal capacity for joy and worship and service
0: wow that is so encouraging and guess what six months later she is standing victorious again with a strong strong voice and it's just so encouraging let's watch that now
1: hi i'm johnny and i am shaking my head wondering how did i get here 52 years in a wheelchair is a a long time i mean even jesus thinks so in john chapter 5 the lord was at the pool of Bethesda, remember that? And he stopped by a man on a straw mat who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And it says, quote, when Jesus learned he had been in this condition for a long time, that's what it says in verse six. And when I read those words, a long time, I mean, tears filled my eyes. This man if Jesus thinks that 38 years of paralysis is a long time, what's he think of 52 years? I think he probably says it's a long time, and so do I. And yes, every day I'm wasting away. Uh, You've heard about the recurring cancer and those new problems with my lungs and pain, and our bodies are just fragile. But I am still on the growing side, the strong side. Because like the Bible says, uh, I'm growing in two directions at the same time. Outwardly, I'm wasting away. But inwardly, man, I'm being renewed day by day. My body may be unraveling, but my spirit, my, my, my measure of faith and my assurance of salvation, my sensitivity to sin, my confidence in the word of God, my hope of heaven, compassion for others with disabilities, my love of Jesus, everything about my spirit is growing. Sure, I'm weaker physically, but I grow stronger spiritually. Deep, great trials bring with them deep grace from God, all of which enlarges our souls capacity for Jesus. And that's what I'm celebrating on my accident anniversary. So join me in the celebration. Help me here at Johnny and Friends, would you? Share this wonderful message of being renewed in Christ day by day.
0: Man, that's good. And here's the thing. Rather it's Joni or myself and my disability or whatever your situation is, God says the spirit-filled person has the opportunity to be joyful and happy no matter what. Like, let's look at what Jesus told the disciples towards this end in John chapter 16, verse 33. And we're going to look at that now in the King James Version. Here it is on your screen. In me, you may have peace. Only sometimes, no. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Joni knows this. She's in a wheelchair every single day. I know this. I have not spent one week without being in therapy, one week without pain. I know this, you know this. Come on, think about your trials. Hey, in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Be joyful. Be Christ-centered, happy, because I have overcome the world. Like, like, can't you see? Despite our trials and our tribulations, we are still to be of good cheer. We're to be joyful. We're, we're to walk around with the type of oozing happiness around us that's attractive to people. We're to be joy-filled people. Now, let me show you Ephesians um, verse 19 again in chapter 5 in the King James Version so I can make this thing come to light today. Here it is on your screen. Speaking to yourselves. Remember in our version, ESV says, addressing one another, King James. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Like, did you catch that? We are not only told and called and commanded to sing to one another but we are to sing and to speak and to preach to ourselves listen you have to talk to yourself and you got to preach to yourself and you got to sing to yourself and then you got to make melodies in your heart to yourself in response to your trials and your tribulations that are most definitely going to occur in your life if you want to be happy and a person of good cheer. That's how the spirit-filled person responds to adversity, folks. You respond with that counter And did you know that it says Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in the text those are three different types of worship music in other words having a diversification of your worship music types is something that's profitable for our lives like there's 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 a type of worship that's for the dark nights of the soul there's a type of worship for celebrating what God has done in a in a good moment we need different types of Hymns and, and songs and melodies to cope and ultimately to stay victorious as the people of God. Singing, folks, is not about how good you sound, singing is about living in Christ. I'm going to say it again for those of you who don't sing out loud with Sister Vanessa. Singing is not about your skill. Singing is not about your want to. It's about obedience to Christ. Singing is the overflow of your affections of what God's done coming out of your mouth. And God says it is to help you and to heal you in times of great adversity now you know david actually has a number of these type of songs and hymns and melodies in the book of psalms where he would talk to himself and preach to himself and sing melodies to his own heart he would often say why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Your hope is in the Lord. Now, why would David do that? It's be- well, it's because of this. He has some trial going on. David was having some bad days, folks, just like you and me. There was some area of his life, and it wasn't going well. So he would ask himself, why are you so downcast? Your hope should be in the Lord. And then he would go about preaching and singing about the promises and all that God had already done in his life. Can you imagine David doing that? Going, oh, I'm so downcast. I'm so beat up. Where are you at, God? Oh yeah, I remember you're the God who raised me. You're the God who helped me shut the mouth of lions. You're the God who delivered me from Saul. You're the God who helped me defeat Goliath. Oh yeah, and the more he leaned in and saying the praises and the promises and the story of God, his trials and tribulations didn't always change, but his vantage point about where God was in the trial, that's what That's what changed. And so he would think and sing and talk and preach as his anthem, as an imitator of Christ. Now, many modern-day psychologists and historians love to try to say today in scholarly writings that they think that David was either bipolar or schizophrenic. (laughs) but uh, here's what I believe. I believe that they're lacking an eternal mindset. You see, they're not focused on Jesus everywhere and all the time when they're thinking about about David. They're not having that... Biblical lens and perspective like I don't believe that David was bipolar or schizophrenic he was a Christ follower who had learned to preach to himself and to talk to himself and to sing songs to himself and He did it to encourage his soul. We should do it to encourage our souls You see he wasn't medically or mentally compromised at all, but he was spiritually and emotionally energized as a spirit-filled man. Oh, that's legit. I'm going to say it again. David was not medically or mentally compromised. He was spiritually and emotionally energized as a spirit-filled man who knew the positional inheritance that he had. So if that makes him medically or mentally compromised in any way, may we all be that type of mentally and medically compromised in Christ to preach and sing songs to ourselves on the days when we need it the most, because that's how we stay focused and joyful when everything collapses all around so if you've never done that in your life if you've never been overwhelmed you've been up oh, guy i can't do this anymore i want you to go into your room go in your car go in your shower go in your backyard and you start singing say just sing sing out cry out to the lord and watch the holy spirit work so how how should we walk all these things out that's on your screen Despite our trials and tribulations, we are to walk as people of good cheer, being joyful and happy by not only singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other, but to ourselves. We are to recognize the power of a diversification of worship music and styles and count it as profitable for our lives. We are to see the power of preaching to ourselves in times of trials, leaning upon the word of God to remind us of our hope that is in the Lord. Okay, so let's go back to verse 20 one more time, and let's look at that. Okay, so we're to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart. And then verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, do you know who the most happy and thankful people are on the planet? It's those who are the most grateful and appreciative. It's that simple. I'm going to keep telling you that the most happy and thankful people on the whole planet are though Are not those who get everything that they want, but it's those who are content with everything they have I'm going to say that again. The most happiest people on the planet are not those who get everything they want It's those who are content with everything they have. And you can make that decision right now. You can say, Lord, I just wanna be content and satisfied with what you've given me. Because Lord, if you never gave me anything else, you've given me enough. Thank you for giving me everything you've already granted me Jesus like have you ever seen a parent scolding their kids when their kids like on a Christmas morning are not very appreciative and thankful Particularly when maybe grandma or grandpa gives them a gift that the kid didn't want like a quilt or maybe a bag of Marbles and so then you got mom and dad and they go. Hey, hey, are you gonna tell grandma or grandpa? Thank you And then you see the kid kind of walk over and they walk in. Thank you, grandma Thank you, grandpa and you could tell that they their heart wasn't in it. They're actually not very thankful. They're not very grateful. But that doesn't stop us as parents from making our, our kids walk out the habit of saying the words anyway, right? Even though it's mechanically driven and their heart's not in it, we still ask them to do that. Why? Because first we're going to command them to do it and to say it. And eventually, the hope is that they start to do it on their own and they develop a habit, even if that habit still hasn't reached the heart. Because the goal is, eventually, they will start to do it on their own. And it would be from their own heart, right? And eventually, if your child matures well and they grow in maturity, they start to look back on all these moments and they grow appreciative, and grateful and thankful from the heart. Like those of you who are a little bit older, have you experienced it before? I know I have. I'm like, man, I just come back. Hey, Dad, uh, thank you. Thank you for that thing that I didn't really understand when I was younger. As we mature, folks, we get that more, and we start to see what God has done or what our parents have done for us in that example. Okay, well, there comes a point in our spiritual journey where our attitude and our gratitude has to be done, even if it's mechanically driven. And that becomes the journey and the path to us growing and experiencing great joy in Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes we have to have the attitude of gratitude mechanically first, and then our heart will catch up later. And if we can do that, if we can start to, even if it's mechanically, start to say, thank you, God, for what you're teaching me in the trial, even if you don't feel it yet. And you can start to say, thank you, God, for allowing me to feel convicted by my sin, even if you don't want it right now. And if you start to say, thank you, God, for placing this brother or sister in my life who actually loves you more than me, which is why they're able to convict me and to call me out on my bad behavior, but I don't really want it, start thanking God for it, folks, mechanically, even if you don't feel it. Because as you keep growing deeper in your relationship with Jesus, this habit is going to set you up to be so legit in Christ. And eventually, you're going to start believing it. All these thank you gods and thank you gods, folks, hey, in Christ, you're going to start believing it. And that's when you start to operate practically that spirit-filled positional inheritance and you start to be more joyful as all the things of your gratitude start to become real to you. Now, let's look at verse 21, because he's not done yet. Because up to this point, he's saying, hey, you're to be rejoiceful. You're to be worshipful. You're to be thankful. But here's where where it gets really, really difficult. And here's where people start to really, really divide. And here's where people get really, really scared. Verse 21, it calls us to submit, to obey, to submit. Let's look at that now in verse 21. Okay, so don't don't, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Sing, make melodies, be thankful. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so reverence for Christ, or in other translations, the fear of the Lord, means to fully trust the Lord and to respect the Lord by radically getting active and not just acknowledging the things he says. I'm going to say this again. Reverencing the Lord or fearing the Lord is to put full trust in the Lord to the point of action and not just mere acknowledgement. That's what gives you and me the power to submit to a specific person in a specific place because we know that the Lord is there. And he's taking care of us. It's what allows you to have trust in that situation because the Lord is there. It's what allows you to serve in that situation because the Lord is there. It's what allows you to not freak out in every situation because the Lord, folks, the Lord is there. Okay, so here's an important question that I want you to answer. It's on your screen. Is your life so overtaken by God's Spirit that you submit to the authorities and the situations that God either places or allows in your life with the type of joy and confidence that recognizes God's sovereignty and capability to intervene if he desired? Do you reverence the Lord enough to trust his guiding hand? Okay, if you answered yes to that question, you are most definitely on track to a joy-filled life because you are operating from your spirit-filled position. Hey, but if you answered no, hey, just be honest with yourself. If, you, if your answer is no right now, hey, this is going to be a great struggle for you. Hey, lean in. Because you got to submit to people that are over you and under you and around you and different from you out of reverence for God. Folks, that's a command in Scripture. you got to do that. Hey, pay attention. When you allow God to take care of what you need, and he becomes the source that takes care of you in your life and in other people's lives, he gets to work at doing that, and it sets you up to be free, to be submitting to other people with a joyful posture. Because, listen, you and I, we are not best equipped to do god's work god is and we have to know the difference between what god's work is and our works we can't go run around, around trying to worry about what everybody else is doing we can only be accountable for ourselves and our job is to submit to people that god places over our lives and to trust him In the process, but when you and I decide to hold that grudge and when you and I decide to grind that axe And when you decide that you want to keep bringing back up that thing that happened last week last month last year When you decide to be your own defense attorney and judge and jury when you decide to do all those things Hey, we do a bad job But god does it perfectly like let me be honest with you This is an area that I want to keep growing in within my own life. I want to keep growing and letting God do the work in my marriage, in my relationships, and in my leadership. Namely, trusting that God is going to go on my behalf in the things that he needs to do that I'm not called to do. Because whenever I try to defend myself or promote myself or protect myself, not only do I make things worse. Come on, we know how this goes. Not only do we make things worse, but more importantly i instantaneously stop walking as a spirit-filled person practically and we got to stop doing that and that means i need to repent and if you're doing that in your life you need to repent because that means you're walking in your own flesh you're walking in the old man instead of walking as a spirit-filled man or woman and that's a terrible exchange are you with me family and friends you know when i think about all this i think about king david yeah, King David comes to my mind because there was a point where David clearly knew that he was supposed to be the rightful and the appointed king. But at that same time, there was another king on the throne, and he was unwilling to allow the transition of power to occur. He wouldn't let it happen. His name was Saul. And many of David's friends, they were egging him on. and They were like, come on, David, this, you, you deserve the throne. It's, it's your rightful throne. It's your rightful throne. But you know what David did? Instead of jockeying for position and trying to make Saul submit to him and fighting for his own rights, David said, you know what, guys? The Lord knows what he's doing brothers. He knows what he's doing. I'm not going to do what you guys are saying. I'm not going to attack uh, Saul. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to promote myself. I'm not going to protect myself. I'm not going to take things into my own power. I'm going to let God work this out for his glory, in his way, and at his timing. Oh, that's legit. That's for our lives. David said, I'm going to let God work it out for his glory, his way, on his timing. And folks, that's what you and I are called to do. Let God work it out on his timing, his way ultimately for his glory. And sure enough, you know what happened? God handled it for David, and David was appointed as king at the right time that God had appointed. Folks, God God takes care of everything now that doesn't mean that we have to walk around agreeing with everyone all the time but it does mean that we have to be in a posture where we're willing to hear from everyone and to love everyone and to be willing to work with everyone it's a resolve that you're that you're going to try to dwell in unity and in harmony with all people to your best ability it means you're gonna work hard towards finding common ground with uncommon people are you with me it's about finding common ground with people that are not like you and then you strive with all your might to submit to them in conversation and in relationship of course not to the point of sin but in a radical posture of trusting that God's gonna protect you and that God's gonna take care of you every step of the way okay so do you like actually believe in your heart That God's going to take care of you. That's what I'm trying to get down to in this sermon. Do you believe that God's going to take care of you? Because I'm telling you the truth. Your issue isn't the authority of people. Your issue is with God. Whoa, hold on. Hold the presses, Pastor Brandon. I trust God completely. It's these people that I can't trust. I can submit to God completely. I can't submit to these people that are around me. No, folks, you're dead wrong. Your issue is with the God of the universe, and I'm just going to call it out in love because God is ruling and reigning over the people. God's in charge. So, so, so eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Your issue isn't with the authority of your teacher or your manager or your boss at work. Do you believe that you're going to be exalted or transitioned into whatever company or school that you need to if the Lord wills it? Does he have the power or does he not? Are you tracking? Your issue isn't with the authority of your husband. No, it's not. Rather, he's the best leader or he has so many categories where he needs to grow. Do you trust that God is working on your behalf, my sister, in Christ? Hey, your issue isn't with the government of the United States. It's with God. Rather, it's (laughs) no matter what is going on in our politics, there is about 50 trillion things that we can get to work in that God's calling us to do. And if we did 20% of that, the lands and the world would be healed anyway. So let me ask you, one more time. And I want you to be radically honest with yourself. You can't grow. God can't heal. God can't work if you can't be honest with yourself. So I'm going to ask you one more time the most important, honest question that I need you to ask yourself this morning. Here it is on the screen do you believe that God will take care of you fully and that you don't have to control things and people and circumstances around you? Deep within your heart, who do you hold primarily responsible for taking care of loving, supporting, excuse me, and protecting you? Do you, do you, is that on you? Is that on your spouse or is that on God? Okay, now if your answer isn't God, you just found the answer to why you're struggling so much when it comes to submission to authority in your life. I'm going to say it again. If the answer is not God, you found why you struggle to submit to authority. You just found the answer to why you keep that secret credit card always in your back pocket, just in case the Lord doesn't take care of you, right? You just found out why you keep that little secret. Hey, you just found out why you keep having those secret rendezvous and those secret avenues with people while you engage in sexual immorality. You just found out, right? Because God, because you don't believe God's going to take care of whatever whatever holes inside of you. You just found out the answer to why you're so closed off in relationships, right? Because you don't believe that God is actually big enough, no matter who's hurt you in the past, that now you can actually have joy-filled relationships with people who won't hurt you but will help to heal you. You just found the answer to why you enter into every conversation already telling yourself, I need to protect myself and I need to guard myself. Urgh. You just found the answers because you, you, you're you not trusting God. You found the answer to why you don't live regularly satisfied and joyful. And the answer is you have a gap of faith concerning whether God is good and will he ultimately Take care of you. But folks, folks, that is not the way we learned Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, right? Remember that in verse 20? That's not the way we learned Christ. And that is also not the way that Christ modeled submission, nor trust in his Father, because the Spirit-filled person can submit to another person because their trust is in the Lord jesus is the prince of peace he is our savior he's god in the flesh and he submitted to the authorities of over this planet because he knew that his ultimate authority was his father on high and there wasn't a thing that anybody could do to him on earth that his father was not ultimately ruling and reigning over folks We can trust in God. Okay, so now Paul goes on to verse 22 and verse 23 in chapter 5 about the spirit, how the spirit filled person, excuse me, operates as a husband and as the role of wife. And the key word is if they're called to marriage, because folks, everyone is not called to marriage. Okay, so. After our Ephesians break, we're going to fillet open over a couple of sermons, this whole husband and wife and how it comes together in marriage and then, and then Christ is in the middle and it's all mysterious, but it's going to be really, really awesome. We're going to get into that. But today I want to end this sermon by providing a wise and biblical framework, not only for marriage, husband and wife, but for every relationship that involves rules and responsibilities and roles because that's going to be so so important. But here's the thing, in every relationship that gathers together in any type, we got to have harmony, right? And so so God in light of marriage, he starts to lay out this prescription for marriage and he unpacks the intricate roles and the intricate relationships and the kind of the the rules and the rubric for the spirit-filled husband and the spirit-filled wife. And so whenever I do marriage counseling or premarital counseling, I constantly talk about biblical rules and biblical responsibilities and biblical roles. And we need these rules and roles and responsibilities because we're different, folks. And here's the thing. We're all equal in value, dignity, and worth. But folks, man and woman, We're different, and God, in his infinite wisdom, he he knew that. And so there are rules and roles and responsibilities across our entire world that many of us love, and we enjoy them, and we submit to them gladly, right? Like, we say to ourselves, yep, this role and this responsibility and this rule is really good for my life. Like, when this person does it really well, I love it. But when we do our own little deal and we choose to be our own little boss, particularly in situations where we are not supposed to be activating authority that doesn't belong to us, life always gets difficult, doesn't it? Like take the educational system, for example. Generally, parents accept that public schools carry the, the role and the responsibility of teaching students Um, in America, their foundations in math and English and history and science and writing authoritatively, that's their primary responsibility. And when parents allow teachers and school systems to carry out their roles and their responsibility, and most importantly, when the teachers (laughs) and schools are doing it well, and when when we as parents partner with the school uh, systems for the betterment of our children, things go well. Things go well because we're accepting the authority that the teachers and the schools and the principals have over our children, and we're doing our part in the process. But you always have those other parents, don't you? And that want to do their own deal, and they want to go take authority that doesn't belong to them. And I know this is true because I taught high school math and English for three years in my 20s, and let me tell you, when you have those parents that wanna activate authority that does not belong to them, and they wanna be their own boss and demand their own deal to be done with their student in the confines of the classroom that I'm trying to to lead, hey, things get really, really difficult. Like, hey, there is a structure to this classroom, and I've been given the authority as a teacher to operate with not just your child, but 30 students. Folks, we all have different roles and responsibilities with various degrees of authority, and we have to walk those things out in harmony. And so the same thing happens in our marriages when husbands and wives choose to buck the design that God gave. When wives say, no, urgh, I'm not going to do that, and husbands say, no, urgh, I'm not going to do that, things don't go well. But when the husband and the wife say, we are going to jointly submit to you, God on high, to what you've prescribed as the plan and the purpose for the institution of marriage, things get better. And though we have a lot to discuss about this whole institution of marriage, today I just want to break it down into two simple comments. One for the wife And one for the husband. Okay, here it is. Okay, for the wives, God's command for you is that you would give preference to your husband, that you would allow him to lead you, and that you would submit in everything to your husband. That's what God's saying in in a nutshell. And for the husband, is to love your wives and to give up your own life for your wife in totality, sacrificially and unconditionally. Those are the two things in a nutshell that God's calling us to do. So both husbands and wives have a decision to make. Everyone has to make a decision and you gotta choose, am I gonna be a spirit-filled husband? Am I gonna be a spirit-filled wife? Am I gonna operate in a spirit-filled marriage or am I gonna buck the system? You gotta make a choice. And that's what we're going to be learning about when we come back from our Ephesians series. But I think we can all agree, no matter if you're married or single, wherever you're at, we all can agree that the Spirit-filled life is what God is clearly calling us into in the book of Ephesians. Otherwise, folks, we have no hope to be good moms and dads. We have no hope to be good friends. We have no hope to be good Christians. And we most definitely have no hope to be Spirit-filled uh people in spirit-filled marriages in a context of a covenant family that we call a church that spirit filled. So let's let's pray towards that reality today and for the weeks to come that we will start to live out the spirit filled life by focusing radically on Jesus everywhere and all the time as we take this final pause in our Ephesians series and when the Ephesians series comes back in about 2 months oh man we're going to spend the last 7 or 8 sermons covering the spirit-filled life practically in these positions of marriage and parenting and workplace and employees. And then it gets legit because we finish up the series learning how to stand victorious in Christ. And I can't wait to do that with you. Let's pray and let's ask God to be big for us. Here we go. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is good and true and profitable for our lives. But Lord, it's also filled with correction, reproof, so that we can become more like your son. So Holy Spirit, whatever part of this sermon has rubbed someone the wrong way or has rubbed on an insecurity, I ask that you would do the work that I can't do as a preacher, that their friends can't do as a confidant, that only you can do as their ruler and and the reigner over the healing that needs to occur in their hearts. But Lord, as we take this Pause this break from the Ephesians series. I pray that every one of us would have Christ centered headlights on that looks from your vantage point on how to live our lives, Spirit. Filled. Lord, may we focus on you everywhere, in every circumstance, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our workplace, in our friendships, in the things that we watch. We want to be like you. Christ is the target. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen.